I do want to say again a very special God bless you to each and every person that has come out today to be a part of our service, praying for each and every one of you. Some of you have gone through some challenges over the past year, and uh, many of you are back today. Uh, we're trying to get church just a little bit, that's okay, a little bit closer back uh, to normal, and uh, so we, uh, we just, I hate to interrupt that beautiful sound of fellowship, but we got to get right to the Word of God, Amen. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive God's engrafted word today. Father of heaven, I am so humbled to be here. And for God, lack of better words, I could honestly say I could leave and, and have had church. But God, the, the preaching that's already taken place from this platform, the exhortation, the songs, God, the stirring of my spirit. God, the people's heart is prepared to receive your word today. Visitors, members, adherents, God alike, we're all woven together, God, as a, uh, as a people, God, ready to receive something from you. And God, but at the same time, I know there's more. Father, I know you have something more for us even as of yet. And I do pray that the word of God would be easily received today, God, and that it would be, Father, readily given that I can preach, Father God, as the oracles of God. I pray today, God, that, that truly, and I'm asking, church family, would you take just a moment, say, God, let preaching come easy in this house today. And Create a, a vibrancy among us today. No distractions. Let something very special happen among us, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. And as you're seated today, if you're, not, if you're new to our fellowship and if you're not in our phone tree uh, as of yet, please make sure that you fill out a card or something or get, make sure we get notice at the church office so we can get you on our phone tree. I have been encouraged that we need to make that more texting than just uh, voice that might help you as well but it's the tool that we use to kind of let the church family know of some of the things that are going on and yesterday I came to the church early to spend some time in prayer prepare my heart and then send the the, the phone tree out to kind of let you know in advance that that we were going to start trying to shift shift our fellowship shift how we do things a little bit back to some normalcy and what I mean by that is, is that today we're going to have an emphasis on the altar here at the end of the service today with an opportunity for you to come forward if you so choose to and for even to either pray yourself or to receive prayer. Um, and because that's just a distinctive in the Pentecostal church. It's something that we have missed for this last uh, few months. And so, again, as I follow JoJo, I want to say you've got to make up your own mind. You've got to do what you feel like is right for you. But we're going to try to... Uh, to, to regather here in just a little while. Now, those of you that are new to our fellowship and new to hearing me preach, let me take just a moment of time to kind of tell you how I typically like to do things. Now, I'm kind of a big picture person, meaning I don't want to just share something with you that you don't know exactly where that falls in the larger context. So I typically try to broaden things and then narrow as I go and make it more specific to you personally. And that's going to be the case today because I've had something on my heart I've had a text I've had a story an account something that's very very familiar to me I've shared it with our church family I've gone back and studied and read both in the text and in notes that I have in my sermon files and gone back to our podcast and was able to uh, listen to, the, to this and get this down in my spirit and how many of you know that sometimes God can take something that's very familiar a, a familiar path to you but you can see something you've never seen before and the journey can be fresh for you, even though it's familiar. And I'm going to believe that when we begin to journey through this familiar text here in a short little while, that it's, though it may be familiar to you, there's going to be some renewed stirring in your heart and in your spirit. 
You know, I want to talk about church, and I want to talk about worship, collective worship by the people of God. And, you know, the things that we do as a church is, is, is nothing new. We're following the precedence that's been set for us by our forefathers in the worship of Yahweh God. Now, certainly worshiping in the context of worshiping something divine or deity, the act of sacrifice, devotion, or worship has not just been bound to the Hebrews nor to the Christian community exclusively. As you know, you can go the world over even to this day and find people that are worshiping in a in a, in a type of what we would call worship. They would, they're worshiping perhaps an idol. They're worshiping in a temple. They're worshiping some type of edifice. It's happened for thousands of years. But where we're wanting to narrow is we're wanting to see the worship of Yahweh. When God chose to reveal himself. Remember, man has been blinded by Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of men and women lest they see and hear and believe. And unfortunately, so many people sit in darkness and have not seen the true light. But the Jewish people gained accessibility to God when God chose to reveal himself and, and make himself known. And so the worship of Yahweh, the worship of Jehovah at the house of God. And we're going to talk about the house of God here in just a moment. And that is, did it have an origination point? Uh, I do believe, and that's why I've called this message Reset, Back to the Beginning. Sometimes you need to go back to the beginning. It's there that you get a renewed sense of what you do, why you do what you do, and then also how and to whom you are directing your attention and your affection. And so today, I want to just draw attention for just a moment of some of the things that I know a little bit about the house of God in kind of a broader sense. Now, the scripture tells us that there is no edifice on earth that can contain the glory of God. Right, Even Solomon at the dedication of the temple that I'll allude to in a moment of time, in his prayer of dedication, he said, We're, we cannot, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we cannot build an edifice that can contain the glory of God. Heaven is your throne, and the earth is nothing but his footstool. And so we recognize that today, and we, but we do know also that some of the phraseology that is used in Scripture teaches us in this context of corporate worship. So bear with me, if you would, for a moment. It's my belief today that Jesus is the high priest over the house of God, that the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us plainly that he has entered into the presence of God, where he is a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Amen. I'm thankful for that today. And so, but, so he's entered into heaven itself, and we might consider that as the sanctuary or, the, or, or the, the tabernacle or the temple of God in a much broader sense. And then the church collectively. I've always felt in my heart that whenever the body of Christ comes together, that we become the house of God. That it doesn't matter necessarily exactly where we worship in the sense of our locality. I've shared this many times over the years that we own 14.41 acres on the bypass with the intention of one day relocating this fellowship. But it doesn't matter whether we are at 1009 West Searcy Street or whether we're on the bypass. It does not matter. What matters is that we come together. In like-mindedness, uniting our hearts together. It was Jesus himself said, two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. When I read the Revelation in the first and the second chapter, John saw one standing in the midst of the churches, and it was Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's always my prayer. My prayer is, is that when I come to this house with the people of God, that Christ will be here by his presence 
that his presence will be known and we can embrace it. And so the early church then, we go beyond the, 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 the church as a whole, then we go to the early church. Remember, we're starting broad and we're going to narrow. The early church comprised first of Jews and then of Gentiles. They worshiped God in the temple as the Jews did, but then they also worshiped God in homes before the churches established their own unique places of worship. Now, we know that the Jewish people at the time of Christ met together. They felt they were compelled together. I many of you know you can worship God at home alone, and we know that. We know that in the, in the last few uh, months, many of you, because of the pandemic, had chosen to worship God at home, and you've joined us on Facebook Live. But how many of you know there's a, a vast difference? Right, I've watched and I've participated when I was unable to come to church, but I thank God when I can come together with the men and women of like precious faith, right? And so the Jewish people at the time of Christ, they met in a synagogue. Did you know the word synagogue means assembly? Same as us, the assembly, we could call ourselves the synagogue of first of Hebrew Springs. Wouldn't that be odd? The Jewish people at that time. So let's go a little bit farther. Yet they made pilgrimages. They went to the synagogue. They went to the synagogue every week. As a matter of fact, it was used as a place of study to train their children in, in, in the Torah and then also in their other educational you know, uh, 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 things that they were growing in and understanding. But, it, but that dimmed in comparison to what the Jewish people experienced when they made their journey to the temple. Now Moses, when he had given the instruction in the law, uh, had, had asked that the men, accompanied by their families, would travel from wherever they were in the land of Israel, from the north part to the southern part, that wherever they were at, at least three times a year, they would go on a pilgrimage to the temple. And if you read anything about Jewish history, and you read anything about the narrative in the scriptures, that was the experience that moved the people. The synagogue was powerful. It was the custom of Jesus to go to the synagogue every week. But I'm telling you, there was something different about going to the temple. It was something to the house of God. There was an excitement that was felt. It was something that they, they held in their heart. You say, Pastor, what temple are you talking about? I'm talking about the temple that had originally been built by Solomon, but it had been destroyed because of the apostasy of the Israelites. It had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel. It had been beautified by Herod. But it was described as the abiding place of the presence of God. Jesus himself taught in the temple. Jesus prayed in the temple in the house of God. He worshiped God. And you may remember, even when he was just a young adolescent, when they, his family had traveled for Passover and come to the house of God, they had began their journey back home and had gone two days before they realized Christ, that Jesus, their young 12-year-old adolescent son, was not with them. And so they went back all the way to Jerusalem and spent three days searching the city and couldn't find him. And finally, in exasperation and desperation, they go to the temple to pray. And as they get near the temple, they heard the squeaky voice of a young boy who had not yet even moved into puberty, and he's teaching the aged scribes and to their shock and amazement, there's their young son. Y'all remember that story. I'm preaching myself happy just thinking about it. And Mary is kind of frustrated, and, and she just kind of reproves him. And she said to the young boy, she said, did you not? She, he said, she said, didn't you know that your father and I would be worried about you? We've been searching all over this city for you. And Jesus responded to her. And he said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So I don't know about you, there's still something in my heart today 
that I love the journey. I love the, the moment that I come through the doors. I want to be like David. When David said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I will enter his courts with praise. So collective worship in the house of God was very festive. It involved music, sacrifice. It involved devotion. It involved teaching and prayer and praise and, yes, prophetic unction. And so I want to remind you of a few of the Psalms today to just get this down in your spirit. Because when you get this narrative written in your heart and mind, it changes your expectation. It changes how and why you come to the house of the Lord. In Psalm 42, it was David that said these words, I, was, I had gone with the multitude. I had gone with the multitude, and I went with them to the house of God with the voice of praise and with a multitude that kept the holy day. How many of you know it should be exciting to come to the house of God? I'm telling you, the, morning, the moment you get up on Sunday morning, you, there ought to be something that just shifts inside you. It shouldn't be the same as a Saturday when you're either cleaning your house or going fishing. But on Sunday morning when you get up, you ought to get up and everything inside of you, there's an excitement about you. Because you know you're coming to the house of God with a multitude. And you're going to be able to worship God in spirit collectively. It was David in Psalm 122, verse number 1. It's a very familiar. David said, I was glad when they said unto me. What does that mean? For us, we could say this way. I was glad when Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday... When the clock had passed them by, the calendar had turned over. I was glad when I got up and I found out it was Sunday morning and it was 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I could get up, take care of myself, get the shower, get cleaned up. If you got children, get your children all cook, uh, their food cooked and get their teeth brushed and get them clothed and halfway in the right mind, load them up in the minivan, whatever it is. Walk if you live close. However you had to get here because the moment you get on campus, the moment you come through the door, something is about to change inside you, something around you. There's an audible voice. There's a tangible presence. There's something. You're going to meet with an invisible God. No, you can't see him with your eyes. Sometimes you don't hear him with your ear. But deep inside you, you are communing with the presence of Almighty God. And David said, I was glad. I was glad when I came to the house of God. Psalmist David again wrote in chapter 27, verse number 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord. I don't know about you, I've desired a lot of things of the, from the Lord. But David said, if you're going to ask me to tell you what I want the most, read it with me there. He said, this is the thing I'm going to seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Come on, isn't that powerful? Just if that's why I came today, I wanted to behold his beauty. Did you know the writer John said that we have not seen him, yet we believe. We have not heard him, yet we believe. I can close my eyes and see him. I can see him seated in all of his grandeur and all of his glory. I can see him. I can see God through the person of Jesus Christ. All of us have a mental image of what we think the glorified Jesus would look like. I don't know about you, but I want to be like John the Revelator. That when I see him in all his glory, it takes the very breath out of me. And I will fall before him as a dead man as I behold the wonder and the beauty of the living God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Church family, let me tell you today that as a Pentecostal fellowship, 
It has always been our expectation that when you come to the house of God, you're going to receive more than a sermon. You're going to have more than an opportunity to be able to give. It's going to be more than just a social, social interaction with other men and women. But we put all this together. We put all this together so that for a short period of time, you could stand in the presence of Almighty God. You could have fellowship and commune with Him and know Him through the power of His Son. I thank God today for the house of God, don't you? And one last one, just to capture this, because we're starting to narrow where I'm going here in just a moment. Psalm chapter number 84, they put this to song. Shane, I rocked out. I don't usually rock out, but I did today in my office at home alone in preparation for this uh, worship service. But it says how, how, I can't say, is that amiable, are the tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Read it on down. My soul longeth. Did you long to be here today? Does your heart faint for the courts of the Lord? My heart and my flesh. Some of you haven't been able to be in church for a year. But you're here today. Your heart and your flesh are crying out for the living God. Verse number three. The sparrow found a house. The swallow a nest for herself where she can lay her young and, and at thine altars, O Lord, my King and my God. In verse number 4 and then verse 10 to conclude, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. Verse number 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And the old psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in a tent of wickedness. I don't know about you. Give me any assignment. Let me clean the toilet if I need to, whatever it is. But God, let me just walk through the doors of your house here I'll be found praising and blessing the omnipotent God. Amen. It's a privileged opportunity that we have. And this is a wonderful record, just briefly a narrative. It's a broad narrative and then to narrow it so quickly and arrive at that temple. We call it the house of God. We say it all the time. We're going to the Lord's house. How many of you have ever said that? I'm going to the Lord's house. But you know what? It was in my devotions I was thinking on this, but that was not the beginning. That wasn't the beginning. Before the, sometimes you got to go back to the beginning. Are y'all out there today? Sometimes you just, you know, you got you to get back to some basics. You got to get back to just saying this is what it's about. This is about, this, this is just, uh, sometimes we have too much movement around us. This is the, this is the, 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 the simplistic moment of worshiping God. And that's the, so we're going to go back to the beginning. Before the temple, let me tell you, before the temple that Solomon built, David had pitched a tent on Mount Zion for the Ark of the Covenant. And the presence of God. But that wasn't the beginning. Listen to this very carefully. Before, even before that, God had met with Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness. But that wasn't the beginning. But I'm going to take you to the beginning today for just a few moments because that's what was on my heart. Because here in a few moments, we're going to give you the same opportunity that was presented to this notable uh, character in the scriptures. Because it was through his life experiences that we get to see the little bit of the beginning of man having an opportunity to be able to worship Yahweh God at his house. That's what you're here to do today, men. The beginning comes to us in an unlikely manner. It comes to us. When you think about in the patriarchal history of the people of ancient Israel, aren't you thankful today for the Jewish people? Their stories, their livelihood that's been recorded in the Word of God. 
that you and I have been grafted into the olive tree and we draw from the root of the fatness of the tree, that you and I by faith today that we are children of Abraham. Do you believe that today? I do. I'm a child of faith, by, child of God by faith, uh, and, and in doing so, I was grafted into the olive tree. I have the opportunity to be able to commune and fellowship with Yahweh God. But when we think about we think about the, the, the patriarchal uh, uh, example of set in Scripture and the call of God and the covenant that began with Abraham. We know everyone's very familiar in one sense with Abraham and his wife Sarah and the barrenness of her womb. And God brought, miraculously brought his loins alive and her womb alive. And, and together they produced a child in their old age. And he was known as the promised seed. He was Isaac. And, and then Isaac was 40 years of age before he was married. And then when he met Rebekah for the very first time, read it in the Word of God. It was a love at first sight. He'd never seen her before. But the moment their eyes caught each other, they were in love with each other. And they, uh, they, they, they went for, for many years in their marriage and they didn't have a child and, and, and her womb was barren and they knew that they were heirs to the covenant promises of God and God came and spoke a prophetic word to them. I believe in the prophetic word. The prophetic word uh, that they would have a child, and but there was even more. And then they, and and then they, she finally uh, conceived. And then it was several months into her pregnancy, and she realized there was more going on inside there than what she had thought. And there was a wrangling that was going on inside her. And uh, there was an angelic, uh, uh, prophetic word that said there are two nations on the uh, long before the days, long before the days of ultrasound. How many of you know God could look right inside? And said so there are two nations, uh, and they were, they, they, they were wrestling with each other in the womb, and, and one came out first, and the Bible says that he was red and hairy all over, and they called him Esau. And before he could even be far, fully delivered, his uh, younger brother reached his hand through the vaginal womb and caught hold of his heel. And so they named the first one Esau, red and hairy like a garment, and they named the second one uh, Jacob, because a supplanter. It caught him by the heel, and that's started the process of these two boys being at odds with each other and if you read the narrative and I've gone back and preached it I'm not gonna preach it all and it's detailed but you've got to read this it's very powerful because as these two young boys began to grow uh, that there was a favoritism that began to divide the house a little bit because the Bible tells us that Esau was a man of the field he was uh, clothed in camouflage he had a four-wheel drive y'all have heard me talk about that I mean he could skin a buck and run a trot line come on now he was a country boy that could survive. He wasn't worried about COVID or anything like that. The only mask he wore was during turkey season. I'm just coming along to tell you that was who Esau was. But Jacob, on the other hand, Jacob was a man of the plains. He was a mama's boy. He wasn't, if, uh, he, he, he wasn't what's the right word, uh, effeminate in any capacity because he later had two wives. So he wasn't effeminate, but at the same time, he didn't really get into all that camping and hunting and stuff. He would rather be at home in the tent, cooking with his mom, ordering off of Amazon, getting some stuff off the shopping network. I mean, he was into all the new styles and fads uh, from there. And there was always contention. Read about it. It's a powerful story. And, and so, but, but there came a moment that jealousies began to rage between the two boys because there was a moment when... Esau came from the field. He was famished, and, and, and he was hungry. He had not taken anything in hunting. And there was his brother Jacob over a big old bowl of lentil soup, stirring it. And Esau said, man, brother, give me some of that soup. And he said, well, I can give you none of this soup. And he said, well, I, I, if you want some of this soup, give me your birthright. That's a big exchange. And so he sold his birthright for one lentil of soup, one bowl of lentil soup. It's a 
it's a really deep, it's a deep subject. I, 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 I better be careful. I don't want to digress and get into it too hard. But it's, it's a powerful, and it goes farther than he, and then later Jacob obtained the, the blessing from the, that belonged to the firstborn. And that contention, and this is where I'm, the reason why I'm bringing to this point is you've got to see that contention of the jealousy between the two boys had reached an apex. And finally there came a moment when Isaac and Rebekah realized that our country boy's son is going to, there's going to come a day and he's going to snap. And in doing so, he's going to really harm his brother. We're going to have to separate these boys for a while. And so she said, why don't we send my son off, Jacob, send him off to the land of my father's and obtain a wife from the land of my father's. And that's where the narrative picks up, where Jacob then, with nothing but just a staff and a small bag of, just a little bit of a, a bag of, of resources, begins a 500, remember, he's a man of the plain. He really don't like camping or hiking. And so he's got a 500-mile journey to make by foot. Well, on the first day, something happened to Jacob that's affecting you and I here today. That experience that he made continues, Shane, to resound. And it's altering how we worship Yahweh today as a result. We're going to just trail down just a few verses here in the book of Genesis. I said we were going back to the beginning, didn't I? I want you to read this. And so Jacob, this is when he went out. He went out from Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. Verse number 11. And he lighted upon a, notice that, a certain place. And he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place. Don't forget that. And he put them for his pillows. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Verse number 12. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Verse number 13. And behold, the Lord. Notice that word. The Lord stood above it. Above it Jehovah. At that time, all that the patriarchal family knew about God was he was El Shaddai. He was the Lord God Almighty. But the Lord there would be Jehovah. Jehovah, the, the name of God. How God chose to reveal himself to the Hebrew people. He stood above it and he said, I am the Lord of Abraham, uh, thy father. And I'm the God of Isaac. And he said, the land whereon thou liest, but he said, it belongs to you. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. Let's keep on reading. I get excited every time I read it. Verse number 14, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I don't know about you, but I'm blessed today. Because of this moment when, when Jacob pillowed his head out on the very first day of his journey. And he said, I'm with thee. Here's the promise. It was a prophetic promise. He said, I'm going to keep you in all places whither thou goest, and I will bring you again into this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken. Let me tell you, if God promises something to you, you better write it down, because God does not forget. If he makes a promise, he's going to bring it to pass exactly as he made a promise. Verse number 16, and Jacob woke up out of sleep. Some of you need to wake up out of your spiritual slumber today and realize that the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, is in this house, and you didn't even know it. And Jacob, when he woke up out of sleep, he said, surely he woke up, and the sun is just beginning to crest in the eastern sky. And he said, my God, something is different. about This is different from the way I went to bed this night. He said, this is the Lord's house. 
This is the Lord's place. Verse 17, let's read it on down. He was afraid, and he said, how dreadful. One translation said, how awesome is this place. It's none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And verse number 18, Jacob rose up in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put on his head, put under his head for a pillow. He raised it up off the ground, set it up. He reached into his little bag that his mom had prepared for him, the food that she had given him for his long journey. And he opened up the little jar, the little clay container, that oil that he would use to pat out cakes with, to make, to satisfy, uh, you know, his, his hunger on his long journey. And he took of that oil and he poured it over the, the, that stone. And then he said this. Let's read it on down. He called the name of that place Bethel. Beth in the Hebrew means house. El means God. And he said, I don't know. He said, I went to bed just because I was tired from my first journey. But through the night, God met with me. And I realized that, that there was something different about this place. It's not just an ordinary camping area. It's not just a place where the wayfaring stranger can turn in. But this is nothing more than the house of God. And he poured oil on it and he worshiped God. And did you know, from that singular act of worship, from that moment right there, Christians all around the world, Jews all around the world, are gathered together to worship God, Jehovah God today, because of, of Jacob pillowing his head on a stone and embracing the presence of God as he slept. Man, that's exciting, isn't it? And Jacob received prophetic word. How many of you like it when God speaks to you about your life? That's why it's, it's important for you to come to the house of God. Because in the house of God, God can speak something to your life. He can challenge you and shape you. He gave him destiny. How many of you saw destiny in those words? He heard something that said, God's got you, Jacob. I'm, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to bring you to a certain place, and I'm going to bring you back again. In that moment of time, he actually promised. He said, God, if you'll bring me back, I think it's the 20th verse. He said, if you'll bring me back, I'll bring you a tithe of everything that you've done. He promised that he would worship God at that house. It's powerful, the house of God. You believe the house of God? I believe in it today. If, I'm, if we're not careful, church family, we've taken church and made it just a little bit too casual. We're just a little bit too easily to move our other schedules around and neglect the house of God. But I don't know about you. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of God. Now, if you're a visitor here today, you say, Pastor Brown, you are a zealot. Absolutely. Sold out a long time ago. Like David of old, it's the presence of God that I'm in pursuit of. I want his presence in my life. I want to die to myself that I can live unto God. You know, God can bless you with a lot of things, but even in those blessings, sometimes those things can begin to rob your affection and your attention of His presence. There's just some, nothing like the presence of Almighty God. Church family, I came along to tell you today to challenge you in this house in Jesus' name that there's something at work in this body. There's something at work. God's doing something. There's a stirring. This is a house. This is a place. This is a communion. This is a fellowship. This is an experience. This is where we know Him and hear His voice. And destinies are shaped. And our, our lives are altered by the prophetic word that flows from the pulpit or through prayer in this house. It's in this house, in the house of God, where God is shaping destinies. I believe that with all my heart. I won't preach the entirety. I won't even go there. i got to wrap up because I want to bring the, all, the worship team back in a few moments. Uh, from chapter 28 to chapter 35, a lot takes place in Jacob's life. Here's the brief narrative of it for just a couple minutes summary. He does arrive at the land where he uh, intended to go to. 
And he began to experience the blessing of God exactly like God said. How many believe that today? Began to experience it. Multiplied, family, uh, didn't have a wife, ended up having wives. Uh, don't look on him too harshly. This was long before sister wives. This is actually uh, was acceptable in the culture that he was living in. Uh, had 12 boys and daughters, right? Beat me and JoJo. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and so, so a big family, multiplied assets, resources. He lived in that land for over 20 years when God came to him in a dream. He said, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. Remember, it talked about taking him back. And so he made his way back, and it's a, it's a powerful story. We're, we're going to omit it all just so you've got to go back and read it, chapter 28 through chapter number 34. And he eventually went back, but he didn't go back here to Bethel. He ended up, it was kind of odd, he ended up in a Canaanite city of Shechem. It's the weirdest thing that Jacob would go back and pitch his tent right on the edge of Shechem where the Canaanites were. And the Canaanites worshipped all these false deities and these false gods. And, uh, and then, I mean, things began to... How many of you know when you camp too close to the world? It don't take long before there's contention in your house. Right? It just, I mean, and, and, and suddenly his, boy, his teenage boys are arguing amongst themselves. And then something bad happened to one of his daughters. It was a, it was a tragedy. And then the, 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 the sons don't think the father is, is really doing his job. And, and then there's a little bit of idolatry that had crept in. And some, maybe somebody's bringing stuff in the house. Every now and then you got to clean your house out. I still remember, my, kid, my boys still remember the day I jerked that Xbox out of their hand and took it out to the trash and shattered it, and it was done. They may have got one later, but it didn't come from my money. So every now and then, you got to say, enough's enough. Hello, somebody. I came along. Whether you want to hear or not, I'm going to tell you. Because, see, when you're destined for something, you can't let the world take all that stuff away from you. And the world will. You'll be surrounded by it. Jacob found himself surrounded by it. But this is why I brought you here today to tell you this is the powerful conclusion to this story. you got to read it all. I'm just giving you the broad picture of it today because we're going to bring you down in just a moment. I want you to follow this with me in closing this message out. So now we've got Jacob uh, living and dwelling on the edge of Shechem, contention in his home. He's just kind of, uh, things are just not right and a word gets dropped down in his spirit. And God said to Jacob, God speaking to some of you here today. God spoke to some of you this morning. God said, get up. Get up and go to Bethel. And notice this. And dwell there. Go back to Bethel. That's a sermon I preached more than one time in my 25 years of pastoral ministry because I see men and women throughout the culture of the church that used to be involved in worship, involved in serving God, but then we camped a little too close to Shechem and we had all this stuff break through in our lives and then God speaks a word and says, get up and go back to Bethel and go back and dwell there and remember it was there at an altar unto God when I appeared unto you when you led, when you fled from from Esau, your brother. Let's read this on down. And Jacob said unto his household, I like the way Jacob suddenly changed the way he parented, and to all that were with him. He didn't ask anybody. He just took the Xbox. Oh, Jesus, right there. Right, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And he said, let us arise, and let us go up to Bethel. 
and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I'm just going to let us read it today. Maybe the preacher's getting in the way. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, all the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob buried them under an oak which was by Shechem. Verse 5. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were around about them. And they did not, how many of you know God will protect you when you make your mind up, Sam, we'll get back to the house of God. Verse number six. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. Verse seven. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. It's another sermon altogether. The first time he said it's Bethel, the house of God. This time he called it El Bethel because it's the God of the house of God. That's a powerful growth that, da- that Jacob experienced in his life. So he's taking his family back. They built an altar. He's calling upon the name of God. He's got his oil. Now we're going to read this in closing because I want to share with you what was on my heart about this service today. And I want you to know, you say, Pastor, I didn't know I was coming for all that. Well, that's all right. God wanted to meet you here anyhow. God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padan Aram, Shahiah, Machia, and blessed him. Verse number 10. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. God knows your name. God knows who you are. And if you say, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. My life is all uh, messed up right now. God said, I got my call on you. And he said, I'm going to change so much about your life that you can't even carry the same name that you carried for your whole life because that's affected your destiny. They called you Jacob when you were born, a deceiver and a supplanter. But I'm going to call you Israel because you're a prince. And that's what can happen in the house of God. God can change your name. He can change your thought pattern. He can change the way you you live. He can change the way you parent. He can change the, your, your purposes and your career goals. If we'll just get back to Bethel. Verse number 11. Let's go a little farther. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and I'm going to be the God of Jacob too. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. A nation of company of nations are going to come out of thee and kings are going to come out of your loins. Verse number 12. Let's read it on down. And the land which I gave to Abraham and the land which I gave to Isaac I'm going to give to you and to your seed and to the land. Verse 13 through 15 to close the reading of Scripture. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Verse 14, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. Verse 15, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. Now, why did I bring you on this broad journey right here today? The reason is this, church family. There are churches all around Hebrew Springs in the Bible Belt that are gathered together in their own edifices, in their own doctrinal, uh, you know, uh, agreement. Their people are gathered together, and they're worshiping God. And then we can broaden that all throughout the United States. And then all throughout the world, it might be in a tabernacle in Africa, it might be in the underground church in China, in a, in, in a communist country somewhere, but let me tell you, wherever God's people gather together, there's the presence of the living God. And listen to this, listen to this just real quickly today, in this, this house of God, this house of God that was spoken of there in that text, we're worshiping God today because Jacob took a journey, and on the first night of his journey, he stopped. He was tired, like some of you hearing me preach. He's tired. 
He yawned. Oh, it's like people get through my sermons sometimes. Oh, gosh, does it ever end? We're ever going to go to sleep. Jacob, you know, Jacob was excited. He didn't know it was going to, he's taking a wife. He didn't know it in his family's land and needed their journey. He didn't know, you know, there'd be contention with his. And he reached over and he gathered up some stone. Just like this. And God appeared to him. The presence of the living God. And he woke up. And when he woke up, he said, the, pr the presence of God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And he took that oil. And he took that stone. And he made it an altar. And he poured oil thereon. And he said, this is none other than the house of God. And you and I worship every Sunday in a building that we call the house of God because Jacob poured oil on that stone. And listen to this. And we have the same expectation. I believe in the presence of Almighty God. And i got to have it in my life. I want to ask you to stand and the worship team to join me. Part of the Pentecostal distinction is we believe in experiencing the presence of God. COVID had separated us from the altar. COVID for whatever reason. But I got up this Sunday and said, I got to have his presence in my life. And I want you to have his presence. The house of God at Bethel. The rededication at El Bethel. Wherever, whether it's new for the first time or whether it's a renewing, it doesn't matter. I just felt in my heart that we as a people need to present ourselves fresh to God, all, all new again, just like it was the very beginning, and say, God, I want to present myself to you, to my worship, to my sacrifice, to my service unto you. God, help me to be all that you called me to be. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship, and I'm going to do something we haven't done in a long time, and that is we're going to open the altar for you at the way and the means. Now, the one thing we talked about, I think Joe did a great job. Everybody's still, I mean, yes, COVID's still present. We're not trying to pretend that it's not. You've got to use your own convictions and your own restrictions if you feel like you need to. But I don't want to rob anybody of an opportunity to come to this altar and say, I got to know him. I've got to present myself to him. I've got to worship God. Maybe you want to come by and take the anointing oil and pour oil on your own head. Or maybe you want a pastor to come by and say, Pastor Brown, would you anoint me and my family? Because we're going to rededicate ourselves to God and to the house of God in this house. Are y'all here today? The house of God. The house of God. Shane, begin to lead us in song, if you would. Church family, take a moment and worship. Just take a moment. Let's just get started for just a moment to worship. The presence of God is in this house. Bethel, the house of God. Today, today, we poured oil. I've already poured oil on the altar. I'll pour oil on you if you want me to today. I feel him calling to you today. Matter of fact, won't you come on? If you want to come to the altar, won't you come on now?